Hi everyone, welcome back to the podcast. Today I've got Martin Irvine. His podcast, my podcast, Impactful Images. Let's do this. Martin, I told you there'd be intro music. I, and I love the intro music. <laughs> right up my street. How you doing? I'm very well. I'm very well. How are you? Yeah, good. Thank you. Good. So this is my uh, my first hybrid podcast, I'd say. Yeah, I would say it's... Well, I've done I've done obviously interviews like this before and stuff, yeah. but this is a sort of more, as you, exactly as you say, hybrid one, where sort of we'll go back and forward. Head to head. Uh, yep. Head to head. And basically pick each other's brains, find out exactly what one's doing for the other, because obviously what we do is very much uh, hand in hand. Yeah, absolutely. So for my audience, mm-hmm. introduce yourself, please. Uh, my name is Martin Irvine. I am the owner and director of Martin Irvine Productions. I originally started out life as a, a hobby photographer and then got invited, got asked that I want to take some photos of a fellow in the gym once. That was around eight, nine years ago. Uh, just thought I'd give it a go. Uh, he posted the photos on Facebook. It was pre-Instagram. Uh, I got a message three or four days later saying someone asking how much they charge for a photo shoot. I thought someone's going to pay me to take photos of them. Uh, I very much quickly get into physique photography, moving around bodybuilding competitions and stuff and everything else. Realized it was very seasonal. Uh, I wanted to be able to scale this into a full-time business and leave my day job. Uh, so it was a case of, I love the fitness industry. Who needs industry, Who needs visuals all year round? And ultimately, who can I provide visuals to that can use them and ultimately integrate them in their business? So very quickly, it was coaches. So I have then positioned myself within the industry as one of the four leaders providing social media content and visual content for personal trainers, coaches, gym owners, semi-private gym owners, things like that. Uh, around a year and a half ago, I scaled from just being a photographer on my own to actually turn it into a business, a content creation agency, and brought on uh, other photographers and videographers. So now we pro- provide a pretty comprehensive service for anyone looking to scale and attract more of their dream clients on social media. Awesome. Awesome. I suppose I better introduce myself. Yes. So for my audience, Joel, <laughs> tell me who you are and what you do. So I'm Joel Stone, and uh, I'm the co-owner of a marketing agency called Codebreak. Uh we are also marketing coaches. We're best-selling authors of a book called Stay Hungry. We're the hosts of the podcast, Stay Hungry. And uh, my background is I did a degree in graphic design, so I'm, I'm a creative at heart. Uh, then there was a recession, which is not very helpful for the creative industries. So in my wisdom, I decided to become an accountant, um, which... I didn't enjoy, but when you combine creativity with accountancy, you end up with pretty much marketing. <laughs> so um started my own business shortly after that, once the country was sort of back on its feet, and grew my own design agency to a six-figure business. I uh, was working alongside my now business partner, Andy, a lot, and it just made sense to combine efforts, create our agency, um We've grown from strength to strength, built up the team. We've got experts in different areas, digital ads, copywriting, um, email funnels, that kind of thing. And now we're finding ourselves working with five-figure, six-figure solopreneurs 
who want to get to seven figures, eight figures and beyond. Awesome. Awesome. Can I challenge one thing? Go. You say that, that the recession wasn't a good thing? It was. Seems like it was. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you on your path? Um, I, I, was doing, I was doing well in the design world um, pre-recession and uh, making my mark after university. So it, it very much was a big setback at the time. I had to, I had to reset, reevaluate. I had to move back from, I lived in Manchester at the time, moved back to Shropshire uh, and kind of start from scratch. So, uh, and there was other things going on at the time too. My mum was ill, so I moved back to look after her too. Different things going on. Mm-hmm. Um, I never, I mean, I, strictly I actually started my business in the recession. So I never, I never saw it as like, do all doom and gloom but um and it was certainly an opportunity in the sense that a lot of businesses and competition was gone come the other side of it um but it wasn't it it was it was tough it was tough but uh it's it's the heat that hardens the steel yeah 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 And that's the thing. I mean, one one thing I've been telling my team of late is that obviously, you know, the cost of living rise and stuff, people are being a wee bit more careful of their money. Yeah. And that obviously plays an impact on what everything happens. But for me, it's, you know, it's those when the market's down, it's those who market hardest when the market's down, yeah. position themselves as the first choice when the market comes back. So a lot of people are just thinking, okay, the market's not there at the minute. I'll just wait and see it out. But then there's other people that lead in. And I think, like, within business, some of the most successful companies in the world have actually developed throughout of recession. For sure, for sure. And I always remember being told from my, from my mentor that the definition of an entrepreneur is someone that spots a void and fills it. So yeah. a lot of the time when recession or the market's down a hardship, it just means there's more opportunity. You just got to maybe work a wee bit harder and identify that opportunity, and maybe you got to put more work in, but... You know, it's the work we put in the shadows that allows us to shine the light. So again, definitely, you know, the work that everything I would say that you've put in during that tough time of recession and stuff is probably what's formed the basis for where you are now. Yeah, I think you and I have both been on a similar path through COVID too, where a lot of businesses maybe backed off. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we both scaled and we both, you know, brought other expertise into our business and took risks that people just weren't taking in that period. Yep. And um kind of now we're sort of on the other side of it we're reaping the rewards of those decisions yeah definitely i mean for me like scaling the team during it was i mean it's not the sound insensitive that you know during covid there was opportunity you know uh for me a lot of personal trainers and stuff had to move online and the move online it meant then they couldn't mark you know, personal trainers working on the gym floor, essentially their service and who sees them on that gym floor every single day is where they attract new clients from. They get to look at their service, see how they deliver it. They even get to speak to their clients away from the personal trainers, ask them what they're like, ask for reviews. And that's probably where they get the vast majority of their new custom from. Mm. But the moment you move online, you don't have that. So what you put out through your social media content, that's your shop window. Yeah, that's them where you market from and what you do, and almost and whether we like it or not, first impressions are important. Yeah. Everyone judges a book bad's cover whether we like it or not. 
Sure. And a lot of the time, what people see in your shop window is what they'll judge you by on your business. So it's how you put out your social media, particularly if you're online. That is your shop window. That is what people are going to look at first. That is what people are going to base their initial judgments on you and your business upon. Absolutely. So on that point, what's kind of what's the biggest mistakes you see businesses make with their with their imagery? I think a lot of the time, first off, it's not knowing your market. You know, people try and communicate with everyone. You connect with no one. And it's not a case that you have to dial down into a really tight particular niche. I do believe that you need to establish yourself and have an ongoing business, have uh, a set of results and social proof and everything out there before you can sort of really hone in and be, you know, picky who you choose to be with. Mm. But not knowing who it is you want to work with, not knowing what they're struggling with, and then not knowing how you can be the problem solver for them and your service solves those problems is a big obstacle for people because all they're really doing is like throwing stuff at a wall and hoping it sticks. They're just throwing stuff out into the ether, thinking about it is, or even worse, they are basically looking at what everyone else is doing and just trying to replicate it. Yeah. And I've had this post in my head for a while, particularly within personal trainers and online coaches and stuff and everything else. And it's kind of like, go, and it's a bit hard hitting. It's probably going to trigger quite a few people, but it's like, congratulations, you're shaping up perfectly to be the next person trying to be the next James Smith. Yeah. And all you're doing is copying someone who made it successful by being himself. You're being contradictive in exactly what you're doing. You know, James is just James. He puts it out there, people resonate with him, and that's it. And a lot of the time, then, people look around them. They don't know who their client is, and they just basically do what everyone else has done. You know, don't get me wrong. Success leaves clues. But in the terms of what you want to do and who you want to work with, you need to know exactly who it is and what problem you're solving. So, like, in the terms of me, I know that perhaps there's a lot of, particularly during COVID, there was personal trainers who lost a lot of clients working custom and then needed to attract people online. I knew that they then needed the market through social media. I knew that they maybe needed a bit of assistance, not just with the visuals, but in how they actually take those visuals and put them in the action. Yeah. So almost for me, like a good personal trainer, it doesn't just hand someone a weight and lift it. A good personal trainer gives them the direction on how to do it correctly, to do it with the right form, to prevent injury, educates them that they can do it on their own in the long term, and also gives them the accountability and the motivation to do it regularly. I wanted to do the exact same thing for my clients. Rather than just hand them the visuals and walk away, I wanted to give them a wee bit of direction and a wee bit of encouragement on how I exactly look. If you take this visual and you use it like this, you're going to get a better resonance. And in turn then, when they got a better return on the investment they've put in me and the visuals, they come back for more. You know, or they're more grateful. Or if indeed then someone else acknowledges that they have seen an improvement in their business through their social media, then they just come back and say, right, what happened? What was the difference? I got photo- photography from Art Irvine and it's been absolutely brilliant. Boom, gets me another client. So for me, it's helping people identify, you know, speaking to a client first and foremost, who it is you want to work with, what is it you want to achieve, what problems you want to solve. Okay, let's give you the visuals that accompany that and do exactly that. So the biggest mistake people make within their content is not knowing exactly who it is they want to work with and why I want to put it out there because 
your content has to be based off that problem and how you are the problem solver for people. I would say, secondly, uh, not not believing in themselves enough within their business to invest in themselves. Yeah. If you are a business and a service, you expect people to invest in you. But people look from the outside in, and if they don't see you believe in your service enough to invest in it, then why would they? And it's a big thing. You know, you have to have the belief. Can Confidence is contagious, particularly working within the fitness industry. People lack confidence in some area. The whole fitness industry is based off confidence alone, sure. whether it's confidence that you'll live longer, confidence that you'll be healthier, confidence you'll get from dropping a few dress sizes, confidence from a, like a young, skinny guy that just wants to put on muscle. It's all based around confidence. And when you're going to find a coach, you need to find a coach who is confident. Confident in themselves and confidence in their service. And that confidence has to come through in their content mm. for someone to want to buy in you. So that means confidence in how you speak, confidence in your market, confidence in the service, but also confidence in the business that you believe in enough to invest back into it, whether it be in graphics, whether it be in copywriting, whether it be in website design, anything at all along those lines. That you believe in your service enough to take the money that you've earned and put it back into the business because you want to grow and scale that business. And I think one final mistake that people don't do, and this is maybe goes not in contrary, because I think the two aspects go hand in hand, is almost not encouraging customer-generated content, or CGC. Uh, What is CGC? It's in restaurants encouraging people to take pictures of their dinner and post it on the Instagram. And it's very quickly, pop, share the stories, boom, there you go. Encourage that stuff as much as possible. And one tip I give to a lot of coaches is here's and to generate yourself customer generate content, particularly if you're working online, say to your clients, look, I want to have a check of your form. I want to see some exercises. I want to see some accountability. So next time you're in the gym, get one or two videos, put them on your socials, tag me, and I'll share them out on mine. Keeps people accountable. Make sure they're checking in with you, but also then gives you that customer-generated content that with one click of a button to add to my stories gives you content and social proof out there. Yep. I'd also say one big massive mistake particularly coaches don't make is putting your clients in your content enough because there's a lot of coaches out there run self-administered fan pages. Here's me with my top off. Here's me doing my exercises. Here's me doing my trainings. But it's like, Where's your clients? Okay, I know you can get in shape. I know you can motivate yourself to get out of bed first thing in the morning. I know you can motivate yourself to make the right choices and say no to nights out or the big 24-inch pizza, whatever it is. But where's the proof you can do it for someone else? Because the service that you're providing has got nothing to do with your physique because that's not what people are going to invest in you for. It's going to be what you can do for others. So not putting your not putting your clients in there, you know, when you go to look at investing in someone, you want to see results. You want to see wins. That's what you are coming to someone for. And when you don't have any of those client results out there, that authority or lack of trust is not there. Mm. So when you put that out there, it builds a trust, but it also allows you then to demonstrate who it is exactly you work with, who it is you want to work with. And then a big thing is your content's a magnet. What do you post to attract? If you want to niche down into one thing, then you post more of a particular type of client. 
You talk about their obstacles, you talk about how you've helped solve them and how you were the difference between the two. And putting that more out there, then basically that's going to allow you to attract more of that particular type of person. And to put it in the most simplest terms, if all you do is want to work with females and all you do is post female clients, you're going to get more female inquiries. You're not going to get inquiries from men. And it's to put it down the most simplest way. But if you want to deal that down, for example, if you want to work with more corporate businessmen, then element put those elements in there and discuss how it's the wins away from the mirror and away from the scales that set these people apart. It's the benefits they've received from your training right over into their business and what they do in their everyday life that's made the biggest impact for them. Because then that's going to resonate with more business people and then you're going to attract more business people and more corporate people and vice versa. Amazing. That was a detailed answer. (laughs) (laughs) As I say, I've... uh, I love what I do. <laughs> no, that was, that was awesome. So I guess, um, how easy is it to spot when someone's not being authentic? I think that's what we're talking about, authenticity, really. Um, how easy is it to, for you to look at a coach and, be, and see obvious hints that I can see what they're trying to do, but this isn't them? Yep. It's almost when the content comes across as forced or it is just the status quo. It's just the same as everyone else. Yeah. Uh, You know, you can't blend out and stand out. You can't blend in, sorry, and stand out at the same time. And simply, you know, I work with a lot of coaches. I'm part of a mentorship called the Authority Network Power Room, which has over 300 coaches in it. And it specializes in training up online coaches within the fitness industry. And of all those people in there, the ones that are most definitely doing the best. And this isn't just about revenue, but attracting clients they love working with every day. And I think that's one of the biggest obstacles is they end up, you know, when you just pursue clients in any type of clients, you end up with a batch of clients you don't like. Yeah. And you end up not not enjoying what you work with. The ones that are doing the best in there are, are simply doing the best because they are unequivocally themselves. They are just authentic to themselves. Because when you pretend to be someone through your social media, and I was actually having a conversation with a coach about this yesterday, it's like he says, I'm not really a funny guy. I'm not that sort of put that out there, take the piss, sort of jokey about and stuff and everything else kind of guy. And says, Well, the thing is, if you almost force that, and then when someone signs up to your program and you're not like that in real life, they're gonna think, Well, this isn't what I signed up for. Now, even if it's just a personal trait. But still, they sold into you. Yeah. I mean, one big element of coaching, particularly online coaching now, is it's not the nutrition and it's not the workouts. Now, I know these are elements that people don't know a lot about, but those answers can be very quickly provided. And they can be very, very quickly and effectively. But the one thing, and they can, be, they can be accessed throughout the internet, YouTube videos on workouts, Instagram, Reels, the place is absolutely saturated now because everyone is jostling for attention. Yeah. And the one thing that keeps people on track to getting their results is accountability. And you cannot get accountability for free. Both financial accountability and personal, and personal accountability. If you're not paying for something, you don't pay attention. It doesn't keep it doesn't keep you accountable. On the terms of like the coach, my coach, why I invested in my coach because I believed in him and he motivated me, and I don't want to let him down. Yeah. 
you can't have accountability without trust and respect. So those are the big elements. And then when you're putting out content that's not authentic and people look through it and see that this person is almost transparent plastic, people aren't going to buy into it because that person there is not going to keep make me get out of bed in the morning when I need to get out. That person there is not going to tell me to do those extra reps in the gym. That person there is not going to encourage me to turn down that request to go out on a Saturday night because I know I'm working towards something bigger. So you need to be authentic. You need to have that connection. And to have a connection with someone, you need to be unequivocally yourself. But one aspect I bring around to coaches a lot is, you know, to have a successful coaching business, you need 50 or 75 clients. Is there enough people out there in the UK, for example, or around the world that are going to enjoy working with you for you to have a successful coaching business? Why do you have to pretend to be someone you're not to attract 50 to 75 people? You just be yourself. Yeah. There will be enough people out there just like you that currently need an online coach. Because the fact of the matter is there's more people need an online coach than there are online coaches. And thankfully for me, there's enough online coaches that need content creators than there are content creators. (laughs) (laughs) But this is the thing. And then it basically worms it down to, for example, myself. I want to make sure I attract the coaches that I want to work with. So even though the market's there and there's plenty of work, I want to ensure that I get the choice of that work for the people I want to work with and then deal that down one level below. The same goes for the coaches. So it's about ensuring that you can put out there to that authenticity and then get the clients you want to work with that you enjoy doing. And if someone asks, how do you niche down or how do you find out what you do? Simple question. If you were to have three of your clients around for dinner tonight, which three would it be? Yeah, yeah. We we play that game quite a lot about yeah. um, if, you're, if you're struggling to find your niche, the first thing you should do is write down all of your hobbies and interests. Mm-hmm. Because if you write down all your hobbies and interests and then look at your client base and see who else is interested in those things... Yep. chances are they'll be the ones that you get on best with. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's... Uh, let me quickly throw over an idea that I use for a lot of coaches. There's there's two big sayings that get thrown about quite a bit. We are the sum of who we surround ourselves with. Mm-hmm. And if we are the smartest in the room, we should change our room. Yeah. Now, if I, buy, if I combine those two together and say you're the sum you're surrounded with and you're in your room, what if I told you, you could create your own room? And the quality of the people that you let into that room determines your quality. Yeah. So, and now imagine your coaching business or imagine your own business as your room, your VIP room in a nightclub. Only the very best select people get in there that you would happily socialize with, you would happily spend your time off with and everything else. But not only that, the people that you bring into that room constantly raise the quality and the standard of the environment in there and in turn, raise you up along with it. So in the terms of bringing people in that have contributing uh, personality traits, attributes, knowledge, background, and everything else to make that room stronger and stronger and stronger, you get better. So as we said then, having better conversations with better clients. Clients that you learn from, clients that you can vibe from, clients that elevate you and motivate you. So it's a simple case. Look at your business as your own room as your private room. You want to make that as good as you can possibly be. Now, here's the thing. Every VIP room has a doorman. 
Yeah. That doorman's your content. Got it. That doorman, your content is what turns around to people and says, no, not tonight. Wrong shoes. We've all been there. Just not tonight, guest list only. Or the doorman's, he looks at it and goes, okay, this place is for you. They come in. So almost how you build that room. Yep. And how protective you are of it begins with your content. And that's your big, muscly, bald head guy in the big black coat with the earpiece in. He, that content is your doormat. Love it. Love it. So on that point, what, what can businesses expect when they get their content right? Uh, more leads, better quality of leads. Well, technically, sometimes it may not be more leads, but it will be a better quality of leads. Mm. And almost as well as that pre-sold. Yeah. Because particularly in the coaching business, uh, I find that your coaching begins from the follow. The moment they hit follow and they start working with you. And the thing is, when a client first follows you as a coach or you provide a service or anything, they may not be ready to work with you. Mm-hmm. But they may not be at a point that you want to work with them yet. Sure. Because although they want to change, they're not ready to change. They're not ready to implement the things that you would need them to do to get there. They're not of an educational standpoint where you need them to be to implement your coaching program. So how do you get them there? Through your content. And uh, There are a lot of people that are very naive in that I can't give away my secret sauce. I can't give away too much value because then what have I got left? Mm. And it's a very limited belief in that I don't have anything else more to give. What if I give it all away and then there's nothing else there? That potentially takes us back to what we said before about the accountability. Yeah. And the direction. But it's about not giving much too much away. And I remember I remember a conversation with a makeup artist during COVID. And I suggested, why don't you do online tutorials on how to do makeup? And she said, well, if I teach everyone how to do makeup, they'll not come to me. Well, don't know about that, because then if they use the makeup every single day, what you taught them, they're gonna, it's going to establish you as an authority. But also, they're going to rely on the makeup. They're going to get better at it. They're going to feel even better. But every once in a while, when they go to do a big event, like a wedding or something like that, or a big date night and everything else, guess where they're going to go? They're going to come straight back to you. Because a makeup artist probably doesn't expect to have a client every single week. Sure. But when you contribute that value and that trust with them, when they do come at time, when they want to get their makeup done, guess where they're going to go? So again, it comes down to coaches. I don't want to give too much away. No, it's like give them that value. Because that means then, exactly as you said earlier on, when the market's down, you market harder. It means then when they do need that service, they're, you're going to be their choice. They're going to be their first choice to get out there. And I think that's the case across all businesses that mm-hmm. ultimately accountability is is what they're coming to you for, uh, one way or another. And they can find that information from anywhere. So, yep. so you know, I, I podcast weekly, I do Reels, I do TikTok, I do YouTube. And I give away loads and loads of value. And it isn't, I, I mean, I might put my own sort of, uh, twist on it but it it's not new stuff it's information that's available on youtube from hundreds of other marketing people around the world there's books on it there's all sorts out there but the reality is that i'm putting my personality on it i'm giving that away 
and chances are that 50% of the people listening to it will never implement it themselves anyway. They will come to me to get it done. Yeah. Technically, but you're not selling marketing, you're selling yourself. Exactly. And then you take everything that you've done. You know, for example, someone goes to a personal trainer or a coach knowing that all the information's out there on the internet, but they don't want to spend hundreds of hours trolling through YouTube trying to find the perfect way to do a squat. Yeah. I mean, you can pay someone to come in and he can teach you it over a matter of hours. Yeah. And I think there's, uh, there's accountability, there's companionship, there's trust. There's all the things that you can't necessarily tangibly turn into value that is mm-hmm. act- actually what people are, are paying you for. One, one element of what we do, particularly providing people with visuals, is that we speak to a lot of coaches and they waste so much time looking through their camera roll, looking for a picture that they've taken themselves. And it's yeah. like, I don't know if it's good enough, don't know if it's good enough. And they procrastinate about that. And a lot of times I speak to coaches about this and it's the exact same thing. You will have had clients that go into a gym, not really knowing what to do, do a wee bit of this, wee bit of that. Then they think, have I done enough? They waste their time back and forward and everything else. And it's not the most effective session. Whereas when you provide them with a plan, they don't question it. They go in, they do exactly as they're told. They get in, they get out, they get the results. And in terms of when I provide visuals to a client, I'm doing the exact same thing. I'm giving yeah. them a link that's got a batch of images in there that they look at and don't even don't even question whether it's good enough for anything else they got because it's been provided by a professional mm-hmm. with experience that they trust. Boom, straight in. I'm going to use that image. Here's my post. And in terms of when we speak to clients and they're taking in excess of an hour to do one post, whether it be writing the copy or whether it be picking the right image, I mean, if you're working as a coach and you know your hourly rate, say, for example, it's 50, 60, 75 pounds, every time you post, that's not just costing you 60, 75 pounds, depending on your hourly rate. It's also costing you double because while you're doing that, you're losing the money. You're losing money and you're not making money. Yeah, yeah. So when you just outsource that to someone else, you remove the procrastination, things become a lot more effective and you get back to doing the elements of your business that you make your most money. Mm-hmm. So it's like finding the elements. Where is your biggest bang for buck within your business? And for coaches, a lot of that is actually coaching. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Everything well, else gets set apart and then let someone else do it. Because at the end of the day, as a coach, whether it be in fitness or marketing or anything else, uh, technically what you're doing is having someone delegate out an aspect to you. Mm. So how do you sell delegation when you don't believe in delegation yourself? Yeah. You know, the way, to, like, say, for example, if you want to work with a businessman, if a successful businessman runs a multi-figure business, he doesn't do his own accounts unless he's an accountant. But you sell that to him. I am going to be your health accountant. I am going to be your fitness accountant. I'm going to do it a more effective way and ensure you get much better results for the time that you have to do it. And then that allows you to do whatever you need to do within your business. I love that. I love that. That's, I think you've said something there in passing that's massive. So, mm-hmm. you know, your photography accountant, your marketing accountant, your health accountant, that's such a good way of framing it because sometimes people come to you expecting um, instant results. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's like, this isn't just about instant results results this isn't about a change in direction this is about holding you accountable for the stuff you should have been doing 
yep. already. And, um, you know, with marketing, a lot of businesses come to us that are very successful but have no marketing foundation whatsoever. They're successful through grind. So mm-hmm. they've, they've built their businesses up, a lot of word of mouth. They're obviously good at what they do. But um, if you took the word of mouth away, there'd, mm-hmm. be, there'd be nothing. Yep. Uh, and, and sometimes situations do take the word of mouth away. So c- COVID being one of them, suddenly uh, a lot of people are being told, maybe by the government or the media, to tighten their purse strings and, and word of mouth marketing disappears or mm-hmm. um you know there's unrest you know when we had the riots i know a lot of a lot of shopfront businesses had to close their shop and then mm-hmm. they had no other way of getting out to market because everything relied on passing footfall and that's that's a really interesting way of of looking at it in the sense that actually if your business can't continue to operate when you take away you or your reputation, mm-hmm. you actually don't have a marketing foundation. Yep. I agree. I mean, I mean, when you said earlier on about the clients that you work with, mm-hmm. you had uh, like a, a, a turnover. Yeah. That you expect them to get to. When anyone starts out in business, technically you're starting a business, you don't have the finances to invest in every different aspect you don't get the you don't have the finances to delegate out absolutely everything and probably you'll agree with this that when people come to you it's because they have been doing the marketing elements mm-hmm. they needed to get them to where they are but they almost hit a wall yeah in that they don't have the time to do them and scale their business because there's aspects of their business or roles within their business they need to spend more time on so it's simply not a case of you don't know what to do you already know what to do and what's, what you have done is up to this point. You're just letting somebody else do it so you can do more of what makes you your biggest bang for buck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we call that £1,000 tasks. So yep. you're, you're delegating the £100 tasks so you can do more £1,000 tasks. Yep. And uh, they're our best clients, the ones that know what they should be doing but mm-hmm. know that they shouldn't be doing it. Yep. And it's really interesting because... We've had clients come to us who've done a brilliant job of, let's say, scaling their business to a quarter of a million pound turnover. And we have an initial meeting with them, look at everything they're doing, and and I can see what they've done really well. But a trait that a lot of business owners have is rather than focusing on the stuff that they were doing well, they try and fix the things they weren't doing very well. So mm-hmm. the first thing we'll do when we're working with a business like that is take the things they've done really well and do more of it. And and they're shocked when they, they have quite a spike in turnover because they thought they were coming to us to heal the things that were wrong. Mm-hmm. And instead, we've ignored those and done more of what was good. And and they're like, bloody hell, is it that easy? And I'm like, no, no, no. You, you'd set the foundation and we've doubled down on it. Yep. That will then plateau, and then we need to start looking at the other things. And it's it's really impactful and really interesting. And, and it would be, I'm sure it would be the same for you, that people will come to you uh, uh, maybe with quite good content. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, if it's taking, like you say, if it's taking them an hour per post for something that you can do in 15 minutes and with more direction... Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, 
prime example is, you know, someone goes out, a coach goes out for a walk, great landscapes and stuff, gets a couple of pictures, maybe gets one or two pictures, three or four hours of that, and then they get to use that. Fantastic. Looks amazing. I I do encourage that type of stuff and everything else. Sure. But simple fact is you come out for me for two hours, you'll walk away with an excess of 30. Boom. Yeah. Or you go, if you're going to post once every two days, that's two months worth of content for an hour and a half spent. Uh, or on the flip side, one big avenue is, you know, reels and stuff. Obviously mm-hmm. very impactful at the minute. One of the most engaging content out there. Uh, people spending hours and hours editing their own reels. And it's like, yeah, yeah, but I know how to do it. And it's like, right, okay. So how long you spent in editing one reel? Yeah, probably about an hour to two hours. And it says, well, the amount of money that you make per hour for just one reel, you could probably pay myself and the team to have all your reels edited for you once a month. Yeah. And guess what you do then? You can either use the time to take off, recharge, sharpen your blade, and just, you know, enjoy the benefits and the freedom of running your own business because that's why we all started it in the first place. Or you can go back and do more, exactly as you say, those thousand pound tasks. Yeah, and I think so many businesses uh, reach that point where obviously when you start in business, your number one goal is money. You need to pay the bills and and Mm -hmm. that's fine. That's not a material thing, that's reality. But nearly every business owner you meet reaches a point where they'd rather buy time than buy Mm -hmm. wealth and that's where it gets really interesting where someone comes to you and says, Look, I know I can do this myself, but I'd rather pay you to do it because mm-hmm. then I can spend more time with my family or I can go on holiday. Let's, let's drill it down to a bare basic that a lot of people can understand. Do you wash your own car or do you pay someone to do it? You know, for me, I, I can drop my daughter off at school, drive, around, drive five minutes around the corner, there's a car wash, and there's a cafe right next to it. I go in, sit in the cafe, half an hour, have a bit of breakfast, send a few emails, make a few phone calls, and come out my car spoilers. Yeah. It cost me 15 quid. Whereas oh, yeah. if I was to have to do all that myself at home, it would take me more than an hour. Yeah. And my hourly, my hourly rate's more than 15 quid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's huge, isn't it? So I've, I've mentioned this on the podcast before. My friends um, take the piss out of me because I have a cleaner. <gasps> oh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's one of the best decisions I've ever made. And it, and it wasn't like I was doing loads of cleaning. I, mm-hmm. I, I'm ashamed to say that I, my my wife does three quarters of the cleaning. But by putting a cleaner in, I get to spend more time with my wife. Mm-hmm. What a win! It's yep. it's as simple as that. And uh-huh. and and then. You start to do it in business, so you know we've got a bookkeeper. I can do mm-hmm. the books. I used to be an accountant. I can do the books quickly, quicker than the bookkeeper. But I don't want to. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's no, not... another another way I describe it is: if Gordon Ramsay was still peeling his own potatoes, he'd be in the kitchen he started in. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, and even at that, if you if you went to a Gordon Ramsay restaurant and you knew Gordon Ramsay was there, but you didn't get the same because he was out the back peeling potatoes or cooking your dinner and stuff like that, you'd be devastated. You'd be gutted. So where does Gordon Ramsay need to be? You want him out the front. Yeah. You want him walking around the table, saying hello, telling people to fuck off and, you know, doing what Gordon Ramsay does, getting to enjoy that personality. But as long as you get Gordon Ramsay quality food out the back that he's ensured it's delivered, whether he's taught them directly himself or even at that, a lot of the time, I mean, 
Wouldn't people really know the difference if Gordon Ramsay made them their dinner or one of his chefs? Yeah, yeah, as long as the process. Even if the there same. was a 75% difference in quality or, you know, you get 75% of the quality, you're still going to be happy. Yeah. So, I mean, people really worry about delegating out aspects of their business, although no, it's not me. Like for me in the terms of my business, the scale up big thing was just delegating out editing. I spent a lot of time training up team members to edit exactly like I did, which means then I can spend more time out behind the camera where people want to see me. And almost another example to put it into is like, you know, anyone, I would imagine more females that have went to a really expensive hair salon, you know, someone's names on the door and stuff and everything out, meet them at the front, stand behind them. How are you? Flick their hair about a wee bit. And then they go, I'm going to hand you over to Sandra here. And then they come back and they toss the hair about a wee bit. Fake scissors all around the top of the head. You look, you look amazing, darling. Walk away. It's technically that's what you're after. So it's like, I think people need to be cautious of being too, holding on the elements of their business that they think, I have to do that. Everyone expects me to do it. Do you know, I love analogies, as you can probably tell by now. <laughs> no one really, no one really cares if Colonel Sanders makes the KFC or not. No, it's it's true. <laughs> Whatever happens in between, don't care as long as I get the spe- as long as I get the eleven, the 11 secret ingredients. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I think that's it's it's where your ego can get in your way when you're developing yeah. your business. That I, you know, let's say I built an ad campaign for somebody. I know I can build very solid ad campaigns. I should be able to. It's what I've built my business on. But I've trained the team in the same process. Mm-hmm. So, yes, occasionally they might not do something the way I would, but it doesn't mean it's wrong. It just mm-hmm. means that they're starting to get confident enough to put their own take on it. To, to, yep. to And I have to take my ego out of the equation and say, well, would the client like me to be sat in their ads for five hours on a Monday morning or would they like me to be looking at their account for an hour and deciding the direction of their business for the next six months and yep. and the answer is they'd like they'd rather I was doing the the big picture stuff yep, rather than clicking the button and you know yeah they don't want me looking at spreadsheets that's yep. they, they know I've got people to do that so I have to remember that even though I find comfort in the spreadsheets and I can go in there and spot things that maybe other people can't, that's not my role anymore. Mm-hmm. Do you know, I mean, and another aspect, and you, I'm sure you'll agree with this, is that when you're scaling your business or delegating out things, you have to let go of your ego in that someone may be better at it than you. Yeah. If I, have, if I bring in an editor and it turns out they're better at editing than me, happy days. Yeah, yeah. I'm all for it because the service just gets better. When your service is better, you get the scale, you get the charge more, you get better clients, everything else. It's not an idea of what I bring someone in. I don't want them to be as good as me. No, I want them to be better than me. Yeah, that's a huge thing that as a business owner, I promise you, if you're listening, (laughs) there are loads of people out there better at you, better Mm -hmm. than you at your job, at the job. But there are very, very few people out there willing to take the risks you've taken. So even if you bring in 10 people who are all better than you at different elements of the job, maybe one out of those 10 would be willing to start their own business, take the risks you've taken, grow it, put themselves front and centre, put their head above the parapet. So 
there's no risk. There's no risk to bringing in better people. All that will happen is you improve the service. Definitely. And as I say, it just sort of comes down. And I think it's in terms of what we both do, it is having people then come to that acceptance that they need to delegate. There's people out there that can do certain job roles that they can do better or simply that their time is better spent somewhere else within their business now. Mm. And that, once you get to that point within your business, you either stay where you are or if you want to scale, that you let go of that. Identify the areas you like doing best as well. I think this is important. It's not necessarily where you make your most money, but I think you'll always make your most money doing the things you enjoy the most because that's what will get your enthusiasm going. That's what will keep you going at it and, you know, have that drive and everything there. Uh, so letting go of that aspect is, is probably the biggest stepping stone or the biggest obstacle most people have within growing their business. Yeah, definitely. There, there is no individual success story. Yeah. Yeah, no. yeah, yeah. And it's a simple case of, you know, even incredible sports stars like Tiger Woods or anyone else or Cristiano Ronaldo and everything else, there is always coaches. Yeah. There's always people behind the scenes. You can bet Cristiano Ronaldo has a cleaner, <laughs> has someone to look after his nutrition, you know, so he can focus more on doing what he needs to do and vice versa through absolutely any genre of sport or business person, anything else. There is no one person that has been amazing at what they do all by themselves. Yeah, the most successful people in the world are brilliant asking for help. Yep. Or even like if you take Einstein, apparently Einstein was uh, dyslexic. Mm-hmm. So his wife had to do all his letters and write his reports and stuff and everything else. So he's still reliant on someone else, even though he was the brilliant mind, but it let him be the brilliant mind. Yeah. So even in the terms of this, you know, if I was still doing every single aspect of my job when I first started, I couldn't be here doing this podcast with you. Yeah, same. And that lets me put out more of me to be, you know, to attract more people, more eyes, more ears, and everything else. And it's a case of, you know, let me do what I love and what I'm good at for more people. Yeah, that's huge. So we have talked about all sorts on this one. (laughs) (laughs) I got two more questions for you. Uh, Number one, what's the best mistake you've ever made? Uh, contrary to sometimes what people would always look at, you know, social media is this sort of parapet of perfection. Mm-hmm. Ever, it's a highlight reel. People don't ever post their highlights, and you know, people judge it by that. That person's doing this and that, and everything else, and all. Uh, like one example I'd always use is like somebody pulls up the set of traffic lights, looks at the next them, and there's a guy or a girl in a fancy sports car. Oh, they're absolutely killing it. Yeah. But for all you know, all that all they do, all they have different to you is a different bill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're wearing sunglasses because they're crying. Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> love that. But it's a case of they could be living at home with their parents, and they spend eighty percent of their income on their sunglasses and their car. But you just automatically assume they're killing it. They got the big house, they got the girlfriend, the boyfriend, uh, successful business, and everything else. Yeah. Or one thing I find a lot of time is that they have the personalized license plate because then you can't tell the age of the car. Yeah, I used to do that. That's a good trick. <laughs> or you buy a car that hasn't really changed much in the last 10, 15 years. And it's hard to distinguish how old it is. But for me, 
like one big sort of mistake that I was was almost not believing in myself. And I know when I speak to people about this, they are almost like, well, no, really. I had a guy turn around to me once and says, you know, how do you how do you keep it all together and be so successful? I don't even do it. It's like, whoa, dude, you, you do not know. You only see the surface. Yeah. But for me, almost that not believing in myself is probably my biggest mistake, but it's also that contributing factor because the voice in my head that sometimes asks, are you good enough? The only way I can answer that voice is by keep doing everything that I can. Proving it wrong. Yeah. Proving it wrong. And honestly, the voice is never going to go away because it serves me. It's what keeps me humble. Because if I get complacent and full of my own self-importance or ego, uh, that's what's, that's when things start to fall down. Yeah. So almost that drive of not necessarily being good enough, am I working enough and stuff and everything else, has probably been the biggest driving factor to get me where I am now. But it's still something that needs to be managed. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. I, I completely relate to that one. But uh, particularly... Um, and I'm sure you've gone through this, when things start to go particularly well and that voice gets a little bit quieter, mm-hmm. um, that's a really dangerous place to be as a business owner. It- I sometimes go the other way. I'm I'm actually sort of, and this is what I sort of go through with my therapist at the minute, is I can't, I can't give myself praise. Okay. I was always raised to be humble. Don't mm-hmm. don't be a show off and stuff and everything else. And almost even when I reward myself, I'm very I conceal it. I don't let anyone else know. I can't be the showy guy and everything else. You know, sometimes success on social media is having the money to pay a tailor to shorten the sleeve on all your jackets to your watches in every single picture. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. I'm going but through that at the moment. External things for me, it's almost. And even the point of it, if I'm completely honest, there's an element of me wishes that I could be a wee bit more like that, just to enjoy the rewards and stuff and everything I get back. But again, it's just, it's part of my personal traits. It's part of who I am. I need to maybe just learn to be acceptful and appreciate all the hard work and the rewards that I have received from my own hard work. But again, on the flip side, it's probably still the most driving factor to keep me pushing, keep me pushing. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And I, I, I completely relate to that. Um, I, I invested in some things, some NFTs, weirdly, uh, about a year ago. And part of the community is you have to show people uh, what NFTs you've got. Mm-hmm. It's kind of part of the the thing. And I yeah. find it, I find it so difficult. I find it it's so far outside of my comfort zone because I'm. It's like people have got a vague idea what these things cost. Yep. So for then for me to make it my Twitter profile picture feels horrific. Yep. <laughs> but then if I don't make it my Twitter profile picture, the community feels like I'm not taking part. But not even just the community. The N- NFTs are all based around an actual visual. Mm. It's to be seen. Yeah, yeah. Do you know, it's like you know, it's like buying a piece of art and hiding it away. You know, that piece of art then maybe does come down to who painted it and stuff like that. But almost now in the modern age where everything is exposed, that part of an NFT is that it has to be out there for it to, to have value. Yeah, so yeah. So other people can appreciate it. So but almost, that's, you could make that argument for watches. It's, yep. And, and I think you and I are probably quite similar in the sense that it just feels uncomfortable. 
Do you know, and it, I actually I spoke to a guy once who is like deals in watches, mm-hmm. investments and stuff, and he would actually manage like watch collections for yeah. people. Uh, and I'd spoke to him about sort of investing in, in a watch or something like that, and he says, okay, would you wear it? And I was like, no, no, I'd probably just slide it back to you and say, keep it in your safe. He's like, well, why not? And I was like, no, it's just not me. I have a, I have a Samsung. I know I'm Android. I'm a creator. I shouldn't be. But uh, it's just functional. Yeah. I'm not a showy person like that. Uh, and he was like, well, don't, don't buy a watch then because if you invest money, you need to be able to enjoy that investment for you to get, not so you get the rewards of it, not just having the investment as a security of the money and getting the return and possible increase in it, but also the fact that you get to enjoy the actual physical part of it mm. or seeing it. And he says, what do you enjoy? And I was like, red wine. He says, well, invest in wine. I was like, no, I'll drink it all. <laughs> I enjoy it too much. <laughs> but it is something I've started to look at now is potentially, yeah. So like in, in the future, you know, if I had, you know, a, a wine cellar in the house and I got to look at all the bottles of wine, I would enjoy that. Yeah. Uh, then maybe a wee a chair that I could sit and relax in next to a fan stuff, have this vision of what I would like from that. But I know there's times that you'd see houses and movies that have like a wine cellar or collections like, ooh, I like that. Yeah. So that's just something then perhaps that I would want to go down. But again, it would be for me. Yeah, people would only see it if they came to your house. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. But I would I would enjoy sitting in there in that space for me to enjoy. One thing I have to have said though, it'll have a time lock. <laughs> the expensive <laughs> stuff doesn't get opened after nine o'clock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, should we just should we just own one of these? No. Okay. Last question. Okay. What's your favorite film and why? I am a massive Marvel fan. Okay. And of them all, uh, Tony Stark would be my favourite. So, Iron Man. And it was actually yesterday, yep. 14 years of the day till Iron Man came out. Really? And the reason why, even, even after, I mean, the very first Iron Man was brilliant because it was the first of the whole Marvel sort of 25, 26 movies, whatever yeah. it was. Yeah, that, you have to pretend that the Hulk doesn't exist, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but that whole sort of idea, then when it kicked off and let off that story, I like it because at the very, very start, when his hum- Humvee gets blown up, if he hadn't get blown up in that, Thanos would have won. Take away all 23, 24 movies in between. If Tony Stark hadn't it get blown up in his Humvee in the first 10 minutes of Iron Man, Thanos would win. Because yeah. then he wouldn't have became Iron, Iron Man. Man. And then he wouldn't have basically done everything wouldn't have kicked off from there on in. Uh, I like I like to pretend I'm spiritual. Uh, I have an affirmation and it's, uh, I will take more from a challenge than I will allow the challenge to take from me. Nice. And it's a case of like we mentioned earlier on about the recession. When life throws something at you that's tough and it makes you double down and work harder, it's that is what defines you. Yeah, it's yeah. That, it's that what sets you apart. And it's almost at that point, you know, Tony Stark was leading his life. He was the entrepreneur, you know, the philanthropist and everything else, but he made all everything, you know, he, he the weapons dealer and everything else. But that was the defining moment. That's what set him on the path. And ultimately, you fast-track through all those, allowed him to click. Amazing. But I will say, Endgame ruined me. (laughs) 
think my daughter was embarrassed because I was blubbering like a baby. <laughs> <laughs> in the cinema, like proper. <laughs> but it was again, it all started from Tony getting blown up. So if he hadn't get blown up, if he hadn't get hit by the shrapnel, he wouldn't make the arc reactor in his chest and he wouldn't have became Iron Man. So for me, it's a story that, that I love. And I just, oh, I just love Marvel. <laughs> nice, nice, Martin. You've been you've been awesome. Thank you so much for your time. Pleasure, pleasure. Uh, Would well, you mind if I ask you a few questions then? Go hit me. Okay, so marketing. What do you think the biggest mistake people is they make in marketing right now? Um, that I would. They don't do things for long enough to know if they work. So. Um, everybody wants a quick result mm-hmm. everybody wants to watch a YouTube tutorial and change their lives everybody wants to enter the lottery win a million pounds and it's just not how it works so an example I've used over and over again we did this podcast for six months before we got any traction um, and we just consistently did it made sure we had the right equipment made sure we were talking about the right topics made sure we were using the right keywords and it started to snowball. Um, when we published our book, it took nearly a year to write. And they're not. I mean, there are things you can do in marketing that will quickly have an impact. You could drop a thousand pounds on ads tomorrow, and if you are half decent at ads, it will make an impact on your business. But that isn't what people do. They trial a fifty quid budget for two weeks. And then say, well, I tried Facebook ads and they don't work. Or they, uh, let's say you're an accountant, they target the keyword accountant near me on a Google search campaign and they blast through a £1,000 with no inquiries and wonder what's gone wrong. And I just see that over and over again, people wanting a quick fix. And it was... The only thing I can say is, if it was that easy, everybody would be doing it. So it can't possibly be that easy. Yeah. You know, I say the same thing, that coaches that make the whole process or journey seem hard. Here I am, 5 a.m., getting my steps in. you got to do the work that you're on the grind, blah, blah, blah. It's like, people know it's harder than already doing it, or they wouldn't need a coach. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So it's almost sort of removing themselves out of that side of things. Yeah. Per, well, not a, not a personal question. Uh, we done lifestyle shoot about yeah. six months ago. Mm-hmm. How'd you find the images? Did they make your life easier? So, as you well know, we we are definitely getting the legs out of those images. Um, so it's it. Tran- we we send out printed brochures with um, our packages on to introduce people to our service because. Our done-for-you services are a relatively high ticket, and ultimately people want that in their hands. They want to see what it's about. They want a bit of social proof. Swapping the images from our old imagery to our new imagery has, has made a tremendous difference. It's it's night and day in terms of uh, the value it adds to the, the proposition. Um, the way... It showcases Andy and I's personality. So um, I guess the temptation when when you're doing a lot of your imagery in-house is to 
look as approachable as possible rather than allow the personality to come out. And sometimes looking approachable actually just looks bland. So, so yes. that's... Um, and then we've got several images from you that have got multiple purposes. So um, they show us maybe uh, coaching someone or holding our book or pointing down the lens. But then if we were to launch an advertising campaign, it's got an entirely different purpose, but still authenticity. It's still us. It's still our book. It's still how we like to come over. Um, but we can we can change the message and and use it again. So uh, we, I mean, we've just we've just run a, a five day challenge last week, and the campaign building up to that was all your imagery. But it, we use the imagery so that people could see that we've been in environments where there are other people there. We've you know we we do know what we're doing, and it it's transformational in terms of if I, if I need to launch an ad today, like I do. Um, I haven't got to go and worry about the imagery. It's it's all there, ready for me, and I know it's right. And then we've got copywriters in house, so we should, we should have that handled. And and then all I have to worry about is budgets and audience, and that 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 saves me a lot of time. Equally, um, people you've worked with who who've come to us for marketing, um, same thing. They, if, they, if, if a client comes to us preloaded with imagery that speaks volumes, that is going to save them so much time and effort with their marketing because otherwise we just have to turn around and say, you need to get a photographer in. And, and then they're like, well, what do you mean? Aren't you a marketing company? And it's, yeah, you get what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and part of, what, part of what I pride myself on doing is providing visuals that are usable. Yeah. That they go beyond just a standardized picture that like like you said about providing those images that have multiple purposes to it. Yeah. You know, pointing at it. Like one big aspect as well is just sometimes creating an empty space within an image that allows you to overlay text, put a point in, you know, just a, a text offer, anything else like that. And for me, it's being able to provide imagery that is multi-purposeful. You know, it can be put on the flyers, put on the websites, put in the ads, put in the social media posts, mm. right across as many as possible. And it's almost one of the aspects that, again, that I pride myself and the team on is that we have done this so much. Yeah. We provide social media content for coaches. What we know that the purpose for is that we can instantly just go, okay. I mean, <clears throat> we we did your photo shoot at an event. Yeah. And, what, 45 minutes? I'd say so, yeah. I'd say so. We just basically went around the interior of a hotel, pop, 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 over there, over there, stand there, stand there, sit at that, point at me, do this, do that. Just give you all that direction. All all you needed to do was almost look at the camera and smile. Yeah, yeah, just brought a couple bring, of T-shirts. Yeah, yeah, bring a couple of props and poof. And there you go, six months later, you're still getting the use out and still getting everything else. And I think a big thing as well is that when you say there, it's like when you go to a graphic designer, you go to a web designer, you go to a marketing team, that the first thing they go is, okay, what visuals have you got? Uh, don't know. <laughs> yeah. And again, then, or I've got these ones that, that my girlfriend took when we're out, right? They're not going to work. No. And again, it's that element of, right, I've got pictures here. You, All I need to do is give them to the, you, do the ads. I was like, well, hold on. You still got, you still got to have an image that works. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. Pardon my, pardon my language, but you can't polish a turd. 
at the end of the day, you know, if you haven't got, if your visuals is the first clickbait, that's what's going to stop someone's thumb. If you lose that there, you could have the best copy in the world, but with a shit visual, no one's ever going to read it. Yep. Absolutely. And, and simple things as well. Like, um, so my profile picture across all of my socials is consistent. Now it's, it's one image that you took, but then when I go to post my, uh, my own self-generated content, I get away with it now Mm -hmm. because I've got a professional profile image and there are professional images throughout my content. But then when, if I just need to, you know, do a quick video whilst I'm out walking the dog or take a picture of what's in front of me, it's unashamedly mine. I'm not trying to make it super polished and professional. And so I can get my personality across whilst still showcasing that I respect the power of professional imagery. I think that's brilliant because it almost, having the professional imagery adds value to the self-generated stuff because then people feel like they're getting an insight. Yes. I'm getting a sneak peek into what happens behind the scene. Yeah, yeah. Sort of thing. And I remember I was speaking to a coach recently. It was like, you know, okay, if your favorite musician or band or anything else, you had the opportunity to sit front row or at the side of stage. I was like, where would you want to be? And I was like, for me, I want to be side of stage. I want to know what happens yeah. backstage. I want to know what happens in the build up. I want to be in the seats that no one ever else gets. Okay, front row is great. But almost, I want to be around the back. And a lot of times, that I find that's why the likes of stories and stuff are mm. really sort of impactful. And one analogy I use is like, you know, Instagram, for example, is like a mullet in the haircut. Yeah. <laughs> Business up front, party out back. <laughs> Business is your feed. And then your stories and your reels is more the party stuff. Yeah. The insight yeah. that gives you into that. Or more recently, the close friends option. If yeah. you can just have your clients that are already working with you, they get to see insight. And you almost, you can be a wee bit more free with it because you're not worried about, you know, putting someone off because they've already started working with you and they know the quality of the service. So you get to be a wee bit more open, a wee bit more transparent and give them a wee bit more of an insight into the VIP room. Yeah, yeah. We so talked about it earlier on. The curtain. Yeah. And then that gives that option in there. But again, that's having the professional imagery out front but then almost having them be able to do your own generated content in there has that wee bit of extra value. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I think it from a marketing perspective, it's understanding that prospects aren't stupid. They mm. will know the difference between a professional image and a self-generated image. So use that to your advantage. It's the, yeah, we can do super polished imagery that really showcases us as a business. And here's a picture of my dog licking my face. It's kind of like I'm still real. I'm still. It, it, yeah. You've got to. You've got to be genuine with it. So I have one final question. Okay. If you had the one thing every day for the rest of your life and nothing else, what would it be? If I had to eat one thing. So you had some prep on my questions where, like, <laughs> you're just killing me here. So. Um, what do I eat every day already? That oh, nothing. That's annoying. I is this the only thing I can eat after yep. moving forward? So the this only is thing all I can, you're allowed to eat for the rest of your life. <laughs> I'm gonna like go real boring and say avocado because I've read that many books, which I'm not sure are true, 
Mm -hmm. So you can survive on avocado alone. (laughs) Yeah, I've heard that. So... But I've also heard that avocado, the farm avocado, is really bad for the environment. Oh, yeah, that would make me a bad person. That would make me like the Thanos of the f- the food world. Yeah. So, all right, let's drop avocado. Oh, if you get down into it, though, all foods are evil. That's, mm. that's, I'm going to have to go. Here's a question for you. Is Thanos evil? Do you watch The Eternals? I, I have seen The Eternals, yeah. So the th- one of the theories goes that Thanos was actually an Eternal. Yeah, he knew the celestial was going to grow out of his home planet, Titan. So what he did by and the and the the celestial only grows once the population hits a certain amount. Yeah. So he was actually capping his population, so the celestial never actually burst out of his planet and destroyed his planet. Yeah, I mean, I'm all for that, apart from <laughs> the fact that he seems to really enjoy wiping people out. Sure. So. Sure. Um, do you like like conspiracies within comics? Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm sort of geekier than you might expect. <laughs> so. uh, one theory I heard a long time ago, and it was just a theory. It was, someone was just throwing it out there. Uh, so, Batman. I'm not a. Ma- I wouldn't be massive DC. It'd be more Marvel. Yeah. Uh, Batman. I know we're going completely off topic here. It's but fine. Batman uh, basically off leads the Justice League, defends the universe, and everything else. And all of a sudden gets pulled into this time warp and pulls him back. And he's standing on top of a building looking down on an alleyway. And he notices a man, a woman, and a child come walking down an alleyway. And he all of a sudden realizes he recognizes him and goes, that's my mom and dad. Mm-hmm. That's me. And he goes, this is the point where the Joker's going to come out and kill my mom and dad. And he waits and he waits and he waits. But no one comes. And all of a sudden he realizes... If my mum and dad don't get killed, I don't become Batman. And if I don't become Batman, I don't get to see the universe. Similar to what was said about Tony Stark earlier. Yeah, one. yeah. So the Batman drops down and he kills his mum and dad. Oh, that's hard. And then he goes delusional. And then three hours later, a man's pulled out of pulled out of the Gotham Harbor, laughing hysterically because he's gone mad. And it is the Batman. So the Batman is the, is Joker. the Joker. Yeah, I remember someone just threw it out. There's this random idea, and people are like, "That has to be made in the movie." <laughs> yeah, so there's a lot of arguments around that. It's kind of like, is is it's his mirror? It's his alter ego, mm-hmm. um, because he's so serious and yeah. and so stern. And this is like, it it's almost like what would you know if your parents got killed? What which way would you go? And you'd either go crazy or, mm-hmm. or I mean, they're both crazy, really. Anyway, my answer is lotus biscuits. Oh. I'd survive on lotus biscuits because I'm glad when you go to a hotel, they only give you two. Because if <laughs> someone gives you a whole packet of those, there's not yeah. a, you, you can't not eat them. Yeah. I'm, I'm the same as you. This idea that like, people lift out two Jaffa cakes. Mm-hmm. No, it's it's a it's a box or it's nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like when they do giant packets of everything at Christmas, I just have to say to my wife, no, just 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 no. We'll just graze at other people's houses because the guilt sets in. Then you can't just scuff a whole box of someone else's. But if we have them in our house, no, because as soon as you you like open the box, it's gone. <laughs> the box is gone. Yeah, just like pour it, pour it into my mouth. 
No problem. Well, Joel, thank you very much for having me on today. Awesome. It's been great to chat. Nice one. Yep. You've been listening to the Stay Hungry podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, share, leave us a review. I'll love you forever. Visit andyandjoel.com if you want to know more about our coaching. We'd love to hear from you. Take care, everyone. Hold up. 